a lot of people start off and they do well for themselves. Very few get valued at one and a half billion dollars. We're eight years old. We're, like I said, half a billion dollars in revenue. So Gymshark was just a cool domain that I found online. I bought it off GoDaddy, it was about £3.50. It was, you know, the whole startup cost £20, $30. Gymshark story, people assumed that it was like this one thing that I tried and it went incredibly well. 13, 14 years old and starting Gymshark at 19, I started like six or seven, maybe even more than that, different businesses and websites, all of which which failed miserably. When was it when you said, I think this could really have some legs and turn into a real business? the Body Power Expo. Now, before the event, we were selling on average two to three hundred pound a day worth of product. We turned all the website off and we thought, right, we'll, we'll kick it back off Monday when the event's finished. The first half an hour after we turned the website back on, we sold 30,000 pounds of product. Now we're onto something special. If we know anything about the younger generation, right, they want to buy a brand that really resonates with their core values. And I think Gymshark does that. To all the young entrepreneurs out there, if you need an inspiration, today's story is going to do it for you. My guest today, Ben Francis, the founder of Gymshark, which you probably heard of Gymshark. It's a brand predominantly big in Europe, but he's bringing it to North America. And if you go to the gym nowadays, you'll see the brand. I think in August, the company was valued around $1.45 billion, and he is the 70% owner of the company, making him in a billion dollar mark at 28 years old. And he started it at 19 years old. With that being said, Ben Francis, thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you today. What a great story you got, by the way. So going back, take me back to the people that don't know the story. Obviously, I've watched it. I know your story. Many know your story. But think about the story, people that don't know your story. How did you go from who you were at in high school what things you witnessed with your parents' uh, business when he, you know, risked his mom's house to eventually you, you know, messing around with different things and then eventually starting Gymshark? Yeah, so back, to be honest, so back in high school, in fact, I'll tell you what, I'll go back before even there. So my, my grandfather ran his own business. And I think this is where, and by the way, both of my grandparents ran their own business. I think this is where I got my sort of inspiration for business and entrepreneurship came from because I did work experience. I'm sure you do something similar over in the States. Uh, I think it's like 13, 14 years old. Um, and he would essentially tell me stories about how he'd started the business and sort of risked everything to make it work. So I think, I think I was sort of like exposed to that idea of risk, particularly financial risk from a young age. So to be honest, that's where I really got the inspiration to be involved in business. Um, I feel like as well with the sort of Gymshark story, people assumed that it was like this one thing that I tried and it went incredibly well. Between that work experience at 13, 14 years old and starting Gymshark at 19, I started like six or seven, maybe even more than that, different businesses and websites, all of which which failed miserably um, before Gymshark was the one that, you know, essentially blew up. Now, let me ask you, when I, when I watch you speak, I feel fire in your spirit, your eyes, your energy. Have you always been a pretty serious guy? I mean, listen, we all have a you know softer side. Where we're around our family members. We're comfortable. We're loose. We can just kind of be ourselves. But are you generally a pretty serious guy yourself? Um, I guess so. I mean, you're right. Like, obviously, around friends and family, I think you're right. Everyone chills out. I think when it comes to stuff like this, like, I love, I just love making things. And I've spoken about this previously 
And with Gymshark, it's like my life's work. I feel like I've got the best job in the world. I get to create all the things that I love, which are centered around my passion with a bunch of amazing people. So I guess it is quite serious to me because again, it's my life's work and it's something that's really, really important to me. If I was in high school with you, you and I were friends at 14, 15 years old, who was Ben? <laughs> very different to what I am now. Very, very, very different. I think at high school, I thought I was, I was laughing with one of my mates the other day. Like at that age, you think that you're like grown up, you think that you can go on and take the take on the world. But I was very quiet, to be honest, very chill, very relaxed. Um, certainly wasn't like the most popular kid in school, but wasn't massively fussed about that. I was massively into sport, gaming, um, and I was just fascinated with computers, websites, programming and everything that came with it, really. Interesting. Was your relationship with your parents a good relationship, easygoing relationship, not a lot of fights, not a lot of trying to do your own thing? Was it a supportive uh, environment? Yes. Yeah, so very, very supportive. So that my, my parents were very opinionated. So I remember when I so I worked incredibly hard to get into university. Right. I was the first person in my family to ever get into university. It was an amazing opportunity for me. And they were so incredibly proud. And my mom sort of had to really really sort of sit me down and talk to me about concentrating in school to essentially get into university. So like I said, when I got in, they were so proud. So for 18 months later, for me to call them and say, hey, I'm gonna drop out of university, they were a little bit concerned at that point. Um, albeit Gymshark at that point was doing quite well. But as soon as I'd made the decision and I said, right, that is it, that's the decision that's my mind made, they 100% supported me. And there was never a point where they sort of said, should you have really dropped out of university, maybe when things were a bit more difficult later on. So they were incredibly supportive. Interesting. That's uh, that's great to hear. Uh, in high school, was math your favorite subject? Like, did math come easy to you? Was it writing? Was it science? What came easy to you? So this is the thing, right? So when I, when I was at school uh, in the UK, we do sort of a certain set of exams up to the age of 16. And then you had the option to leave school or, or go back into sort of like at what we call college. Um, I didn't actually do that well up until the age of 16 and the school didn't actually want me to stay on through 17 and 18. Now I was really lucky someone dropped out and they ended up taking me back in um, on the basis that I did in English literature. So I never enjoyed it. I was never, I didn't think I was good at it, for, but for whatever reason, I was really good with writing, you know, and I guess English lit, lit basically. So I did English, uh, business and IT. I, I adored IT, to be honest. You adored IT. Okay. Business, that, it's, fun, it's funny though, because business, I didn't, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I, I found myself frustrated by it in a lot of ways. And I learned a lot of quite, you know, great basics, uh, building and starting a limited, limited company and things like that. But I think I was always frustrated because I wanted to do it while, rather than write about it. That makes a lot of sense. And you definitely ended up doing it. So walk me through now your... Uh, uh, the moment where you and your buddy Lewis are sitting there and you're saying, what if we start our own company called, you know, uh, uh, Jim Shark and, you know, how that led to you meeting Steve in 2015. Kind of give me the history of how that take place, takes place. So I said I loved IT and I was really, really lucky, actually, because in in growing up, I, so I grew up in, I, I still live here, I grew up in a part of the UK called the West Midlands. So we're right in the middle it's it's basically the industrial powerhouse of of the uk it's it's you know nowhere near as wealthy as london it, it's just sort of a very it's a very i love it here but it's not the wealthiest part of the uk so we didn't have massive access to some of the amazing software that's more readily available today 
Now, when I took this IT class, I didn't know what it was at the time, but it gave me access to the Adobe Creative Suite. And that's where you had Dreamweaver, so you can make websites, Illustrator for graphics, Photoshop. And I didn't realize at the time how lucky I was to have access to this, these products, but they literally completely changed my life. Because as, as a young creative, all of a sudden I could create the things that I was imagining in, in my head. So started making all these different websites and iPhone apps just because it was something that I thought was cool. Um, and then after a while, I wanted to make a website that would transact because everything else I'd made didn't actually sell anything. So I, I had a friend who worked at a supplement company at the time. And I said to him, listen, I want to make a website that's going to transact. I need to know how much it's going to cost me to buy some supplements off you. Because at the time I was massively into the gym. I was massively into fitness. My dream was to be like a, a bodybuilder. And, um, and he said to me, it's going to cost, I think it was 8,000 pounds for a purchase of supplements to sell on the website. Now, I'd never even heard of £8,000, let alone seen £8,000 at that point. I was working, uh, I think it was like £4.80 an hour, 80 an hour at Pizza Hut. So it was like, it, it just was unfathomable for me to be able to have that. So what we thought we would do is just make a website that would transact and then drop ship supplements. So for anyone that's watching that doesn't know what drop shipping is, it's basically you load the website up with a load of product that you don't actually own someone comes onto your website and buys it and you basically ship it from another vendor and it goes straight to the consumer and you make a small margin. Now, the margin was tiny, so I'll never actually forget this. We had our first sale. It took three months, I think, to get the first sale. Um, and it was a 50 pound supplement of which two pounds was profit. Now to any commercial business person, two pound profit on a 50 quid sale is, is not particularly great. And you have to do ridiculous scale for, for that to, to be worth anything. But the aim of the game was just to be involved in fitness any way that I could and also build a website that would transact. And, you know, this did it. So I was like literally running around my bedroom buzzing with the fact that we'd actually made I a bet. website that transacted. So and that, that was how it started, really. And it was it was super organic. Right. The, the name Gymshark, because at the time I'd made so many websites previously, to me, this was another one. I didn't know it would be anything great. So Gymshark was just a cool domain that I found online. It was short. I bought it off GoDaddy. It was about £3.50. It was, you know, the whole startup cost. <laughs> bear in mind, everything was drop shipped and, and um, free domain. Our, our startup cost must have been £20, $30. You know, it's, it's, it's like nothing. So, um, yeah, that, that's essentially how the business started. What was your role and what did Lewis do? Was, was Lewis CMO, COO, CEO? You were CEO, CFO. Who, who handled what? Whose strengths were what? So at the time, because it was just, it wasn't really, a, it wasn't like a business as such. It was just a case of let's go off and make this. So we didn't really have roles. Now, as we fast forward, that's when the business developed and roles sort of occurred. So like I said, we, we were drop shipping in supplements and it was, it was going okay. There'd be a sale every few days or so, but because the margins were so small, you'd be making like, you know, four or five pounds a week, maybe in terms of profits. So after a while, and going back to sort of luck, there was there was this, I guess, something that was so fortunate and lucky that just the stars had to align. So in Birmingham, there's a place called the NEC, which is the National Exhibition Centre. Now, every year they would have one of the best fitness events in the world called Body Power. And for me and all my friends that wanted to be bodybuilders and basically fitness people who just follow that YouTube scene massively, and the bodybuilding scene, we'd check in with Olympia every year. That was like our one opportunity to see these amazing people from around the world, normally from, you know, the US and places like that. Um, 
So every year we would go to Body Power just to be amongst the fitness champions of the world. And we were all walking around, me and my mates, and I'll never forget this because I had to sort of run off to Pizza Hut because my shifts would normally start at five. So we got there Saturday morning and spent the day there. And you're looking at all these people in all the fitness clothes and the stringer vest and the more the old school bodybuilding stuff. And then we try it on, but because we were more, you know, slender in our physique than the huge bodybuilders, it would like drown us because they would be so massive. So we just thought to ourselves, right, why don't we just try and make our own? Um, now, conveniently at the time, my nan was basically doing a curtain making course. So I thought to myself, right, why don't we buy a, a sewing machine? We bought a screen printer essentially with all of our savings. And we started to basically hand make clothes, to be honest, more for ourselves than anything else, and then happened to put them on the website. Um, I think that coincided with the fact that we loved YouTube, still do, right? So haven't watched telly since I was very, very young, and it would always be around football or soccer in the States. Um, I, I literally just thought, right, let's, let's send this product to that we love to some of our heroes on YouTube and see what they think. And those guys started to wear it more and more, it, you know, built up, I guess, a bit of a brand and people started buying our clothes online. So, so was there a strength that Lewis played versus you? Because the reason why I ask this question is a lot of times there's other friends where, you know, they're in college together, they're thinking about doing something together and they're, you know, uh, when I go and speak at universities, I'll typically say, rather than thinking about, you know, find your passion on what you want to do, but also recruit a good group of people that have opposing strengths to build your business with. Was there a strength he had that was different than yours? And what was your strength versus his? Yeah, so I think at, so at this point, I don't think we'd really work that out. I think we just had and the thing that I think the thing that really worked with us is we were just almost ferociously passionate about what we were doing, both of us. So to be fair as well, just for context, we're 18, 19, 20 years old at this point. All of our friends would often go out and they'd be at university. We were the two that decided to go to university, but stay at home. So we were the two, I think, in our area who were quite happy to sort of sacrifice everything else for this dream. Now, as it started to develop over the, the years and we started to have revenue and build out our business, we definitely found sort of, um, I guess, our different strengths. But listen, Lewis ended up moving on from the business a few years later. So I don't think the cohesion was maybe as good as what it should have been. Whereas later on, when Steve joined the business about three years after we started, I think that's where we really found cohesion because mine and Steve's strengths are completely opposite in terms of he's very much your more, I guess, how you'd see more of a typical business person in terms of very organized, a great people person, a manager, experienced, where I was a lot more around creative product and so on. And I really had to learn the other skills. So I think that's where that cohesion started to begin. Ben, are you today the CEO or today you're the chairman of the board and Steve's the CEO? Yeah, so Steve's the CEO today. Um, and that was a decision that we made a few years ago. And I'm sat as sort of a chief product officer role, but I tend to jump around different areas of the business. Even though you're a 70% majority shareholder, you're the chief product officer. Applaud you for, I applaud you for doing that. By the way, the first sale that was made after putting up the three months of the website where you made $2 of profits, did you ever track the customer down to see how they find you and what they bought and why they bought it on your site? I did. Because uh, it's funny enough, because they, they were from the local area, so they'd heard of us. Um, I mean, they'd live, you know, 10, 20 minutes. I sort of know of them. We're not sort of friends as such, but uh, I think they just found out about it in, in the gym, in the local gyms. Very cool. 
at what point did you did you kind of have an idea that you're up to something big? Like when was it when you said, you know, I think this could really have some legs and turn into a real business? So to be honest, it happened quite quickly. So we I, I mentioned the Body Power Expo. We I was at that expo, and this is when the business was very, very small. And I had a it was like a gut, a proper, proper innate gut feeling that we had to be there the following year. Bear in mind, at this point, we had no product to be there. I just thought we have to be here. Now, when we, I think that was May 2011, we were walking around as customers and I just thought, right, we've got to be here. I went straight to the, the organizer's stand and I said, I want a stand here next year. What does it cost? Uh, I think it was £3,000 for the entry level stand. And I just, again, more money than we'd ever seen. But I thought, right, fine. We've got 12 months to pay for it. We'll find out a way of doing it. Um, so we booked into that. And over the year, that's where we handmade a lot of these clothes and we built up the brand. Now, about two or three months before that event, the people, the YouTubers that we've been sending product to who had over time become friends that we've been chatting to over Skype, we invited them to come to the event with us. So they were all buzzing. Some of them were from the States and hadn't been to the UK before. Some of them were from the UK. Um, and we did this event and... I'm not saying it was a corporate event because it wasn't, but we were just like, listen, there's, we're here. We want to chat with the community. We would just love the community more than anything anyway. And almost like, by the way, if you want to buy some product, then that's great. But after the show, we're going to go to the gym and we can all lift together. And we sort of started to, started to build this community. The show went really, really well. I was really happy with how it went. We sold out of a lot of the stuff. But over that weekend, because there was only a small handful of us in the business, we turned all the website off and we thought, right, we'll, we'll kick it back off Monday when the event's finished. Now, what I didn't realize is we'd stumbled upon, I guess, the sort of marketing mix, as you call it, of today. So we did uh, an in real life event where we launched new product and no one could get their hands on it. We had all these YouTubers and what are now called social media influencers there that were posting on Facebook and YouTube and so on and built up this huge, crazy demand and hype that everyone was looking at. Um, and then, like I said, because we were going and lifting with everyone after the event, all of those guys were following us on social and sort of falling in love with the brand and the community that we were all building together. Now, after the event, I went home and I was sat at my parents' house one evening and I just sort of turned the website on thinking nothing would happen, posted on Facebook just to let everyone know that it's back and we're launching the product that we'd sold at the event. Now, before the event, for context, we were selling on average two to three hundred pound a day worth of product. Again, very, very proud of where we built up to. We were doing really well. The first half an hour after we turned the website back on, we sold thirty thousand pounds of product, sold out of everything, and I was literally because the stock was set to infinite. I was having to go through each product and turn it off um, because we had to go and hand make the product. And I'll never forget it, right? Because it was about one o'clock in the morning. The website was turned off. We had £30,000 worth of revenue, more revenue than we'd ever th thought was possible in a 30-minute period. And it, I was literally sat there on my own. I was thinking, okay, now, now we're on to something special. And that's when I left Pizza Hut. That's when I left university. And that's when everything was just all focused on Gymshark. Wow. $30,000 in first 30 minutes. And you're used to doing 300, 200 to 300 a day. And that takes off to 30,000. You turn off all the products. Okay. So when that happens, by the way, Ben, how many shirts have you personally sewn? If you were to say I've sewn that, you know, so many shirts, how many have you personally sewn? I could probably work it out. It would, it would, I would say I would guess between 500 and a thousand. It wouldn't be massive amounts, but at the time it felt like a lot. 500 to a thousand. And so uh, uh, how about people still have them. And they when we go to events, 
prior to COVID, people would come in some of the original ones and because there was always slight um, imperfections in the print or something. And I would just sort of instantly know and remember and it would come back to me as to that's one of the handmade products. Wow. I bet. I, I, I mean, it's a form of art when you're designing those because it's, it's limited edition. It's, it's not necessarily something that's uh, it's a one-off because mm-hmm. it's being handmade. Okay. So that $30,000 event takes place in 30 minutes products done you turn everything off what are you doing next well this is where it became what i would call like a real business because this is where we had to sort of hire people we were starting to buy in stock and take more and more risks um we uh, got our first sort of unit slash small warehouse i think it was about 300 square feet um this is where it became a real business and this is where i think i sort of really had to learn because up until that point it was just entrepreneurial it was like there was there was no responsibility for lack of a better term. It was just go where you want, do what you want. And it's just grow, 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 and just go off and enjoy yourself. Now at this point we had to hire people and responsibility was happening. We were taking on leases. So that was a real sort of learning curve for me. And like I said, because I dropped out of university and my, my job, um, it was literally a case of I'm all in on this. So 24 seven, I was just all on, all on Gymshark and essentially getting it to grow as quickly as possible. And, I think what we did after that, and this is this is something that at the time came very naturally and it didn't feel like a risk, but looking back, I felt it, I think it was a bit of a risk. That one event did well. So then we were like, right, let's sign up to every event that we possibly can. So we signed up to Body Power in Birmingham. We signed up to uh, an event called FIBO in Germany, um, the LA Fit Expo in Los Angeles, um, uh, the Arnold in Columbus, Ohio, Melbourne. And we literally just flew around the entire world going to all these events. We spent every penny we had and just did event after event after event whilst the guys were working back home uh, in that new warehouse that we'd got to ship out the orders. How, how did that, which one would, out of all the events you went to, I mean, you know, the uh, Arnold Expo, quarter million people show up. Was there one where you said I was another one that was a big success? Um, to be honest, they were all really unique. So I'll always remember every single one of them, to be honest. So Columbus, Ohio was crazy because I didn't realize anywhere got that cold. So English winters aren't that cold. We went to Columbus, Ohio, and I think it was December. It was freezing, but it was inc- the, the, the thing that shocked me about that event was the scale. It was I don't know if you've been. It is huge. And the actual event is massive. And they do so much right all the way from bodybuilding to there was sort of like people to talk to around sort of joining the military. I think there was. um all these different sports, even having Arnold Schwarzenegger there was just an amazing thing to see. Um, whereas the European expos tend to be quite, you have a bodybuilding expo and then you have maybe a slightly different expo for a different thing. So that was amazing. But th- the thing that really hit me, especially going to places like Germany and, and the States, was it's almost hit you even harder doing it in, in the international stage because you just assume that no one has heard of the brand. And it was on that, that was the moment when I'm starting to realize that, wow, this social media thing this website, online, direct-to-consumer e-commerce thing, is it's a global thing now. Whereas when you're at home, it just feels like a little bit of a, you know, a thing that happens around where you are. And a, a lot of people do drop shipping. A lot of people create sites. A lot of people sell shirts. A lot of people do, uh, uh, not necessarily what you guys are doing at this scale, but a, lot, but a lot of people start off and they do well for themselves. Very few get valued at $1.5 billion dollars of a business where people around the world are talking and they have millions of loyal followers. What would you say was the biggest differentiator between you guys and everybody else? So I think there was a few. I think 
Now, as the business grew, I think we built an amazing culture. So internally, we've got a brilliant culture and a great balance of people that are really trying to create, you know, the next big thing and the next special thing, but equally those who are building a really robust business. Because you'll know, right, when you get to scale, it's all well and good. But if you're not built on solid foundations, it's it's sort of irrelevant. And to be honest, I had a fair few learning curves myself. So I mentioned the entrepreneurial phase. During the entrepreneurial phase, which I think is the more quintessential view of what an entrepreneur is, it's like you have your vision and you move towards it. And regardless of what anyone says around you, you there's that's irrelevant, right? You move forward to where you think it should be. And, and for me, it was about grabbing the business by the scruff of the neck to where I thought it should be, no matter what. Then all of a sudden, almost overnight, you build a team and you can't just grab the business around the square for the neck to where you want to go when you've got a team because you'll start to alienate those individuals so I had a few sort of wake-up moments which was like oh god now I need to shift my like I need to change for the business to become someone that's more of a you know a team player and a leader in that respect and to be fair I learned a lot of that from Steve and then the business grows and grows and grows and now the business is at a stage where I mean, last calendar year, we did over half a billion dollars in revenue. We've got offices in Colorado, in UK, in Mauritius, in Hong Kong. All of a sudden now for me, it's all about, right, what's the long-term vision? I'm a lot more strategic. I need to think outside the box. I need to try and really think about what's next and be one step ahead all the time. So I think me adapting and everyone in the company adapting, I think is powerful. I think we've got an incredible culture, which again is incredibly powerful. Um, I also think that, we took risks where other people wouldn't. So I go back to those events. We'd saved over time up to having, I think we had about a million pounds in the bank, which that was at 21, 22 years old. And we spent every single penny on it, on growth, every single penny on the community, every single penny on meeting as many people as possible. And, and that's all the athletes and the staff and myself. And I would always meet as many people as we can. So I think the business model helped as well. I think the culture helped. And ultimately, I think we have a really great product. And I think that's we can invest even further into our product because we're built in a way that I think the future of brands will be built. So you'll know that during yesteryear, some of the larger brands would be built in a way where they would build as much product as they can to put into as many stores as they can to please as many people as they can. And that was sort of the, the route to success during the high street era. Whereas now, this entirely new landscape that we're all a part of you can create a genuine purposeful product that's built for a specific community and you can reach them across the world. And if we know anything about the younger generation, right, they want to buy a brand that really resonates with their core values. And I think Jim Chart does that. Ben, uh, how hard were you? Did you, were you and uh, Lewis or any of your friends in the partying scene or no? No, not really. Um, listen, there's, I think there's the odd thing that you'll go out here and there, but particularly when we were younger, we were absolutely dead sure on this is where we wanted to spend our time and this is where we wanted to be. What kind of what kind of schedule did you have? What kind of a work schedule did you have? So to be, again, to be honest, Patrick, this is something I'm only just learning now. So it, it varies massively, but it would be it would be a typical sort of entrepreneurial thing, right? You would wake up and you would just work and you would work and work and work. And then I would gym and then I would go to bed. Um, and then as the business starts to scale, it's brilliant because you can literally outsource your weaknesses. So one of my weaknesses is like I'm not very organized. So all of a sudden now I wake up and I have like a set of train tracks through the day, which I can work through, which are sort of provided for me. But during the startup phase, it, it genuinely is a case of being dead set on your vision, working incredibly hard, sometimes through the night if you need to, um, and just moving forward no matter what. You said your parents, uh, whether it was your dad or your parents, they were big on mindset. What were some of the mindset they were telling you about? You constantly talk about mindset. 
Yeah, so so my so my mom is incredibly hardworking. So she works in the NHS here, and she has done since I was born, and obviously before that. So I think from from my mom, I learned just work incredibly hard. So as a kid, she would work nights. She would work all night. She'd come home, take me to school, sleep whilst we were at school, and then pick us up after school. Um, my dad's incredibly hardworking as well. And you're right, he would always talk about mindset. So we, we I loved sport growing up. I loved football. I loved soccer. Um, and he would always say it's all about sort of mental strength. It's all about your mind. You know, listen to the advice that people give you. You can learn something from everyone that you meet. And he would always sort of put a little asterisk next to that and say, but remember, you choose which advice you apply to yourself. Um, it's almost like thinking of your mind as like a computer and you choose the sort of updates that you wish to patch into your mind. And I think that's been really powerful because I've had a lot of brilliant advice. I've also had a fair bit of bad advice too. So you sort of choose what you take on and, you know, develop yourself into and into who you want to be. You, you, you said your mom talked to you about concentration because you said uh, up until 16 years old, you know, you didn't have good grades and then you learn how to get good grades. How did, mom, how did your mom work with you? Uh, it's very hard to be concentrating at that age, especially when you're saying you're not a organized person and a lot of entrepreneurs, type A personalities. May, I mean, you're an introvert yourself. You've talked about it openly. But how did your mom work with you on concentration? I think she always had, I think she still does. She, even Like I said, so she doesn't understand the ins and outs of Gymshark and what, I've, what I do and maybe what I, I did when I was younger. But I think she 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 knew that I could do like great things, but I think her confidence in me sort of helped give me confidence. So when she sort of said to me, listen, you can do really well at school if you put your mind to it, then all of a sudden I'm like, well, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to give it a go then. And I think that confidence really helped. Got it. Last but not least, your vision. You said the, the vision is to compete with a, a Nike or an Adidas or Under Armour. Where are you at now with the vision of Gymshark? Listen, I... I think maybe I'm less about scale because if we want scale, I think we could get it in terms of we could sell Gymshark into many high street stores and we could double, triple, quadruple the business in a very, very quick time frame. For me, it's about building what I think the future of brands will be. And as I've mentioned before, it's a community focused brand that has, you know, a, you know, a distinct value behind it. And I think, that's where I want to go. So it's less about scale, but it's about creating the best fitness brand in the world. And I think that comes with being a direct-to-consumer brand, a brand that is agile and lean, so we can invest into the community and in the product rather than in you know thousands of shops around the world. So we're we're doing incredibly well. Listen, we've, we're eight years old. We're like I said, half a billion dollars in revenue. We've been the UK's fastest-growing business from a top-line perspective, but we also had. We have won the award a couple of years ago for the, one of the UK's fastest growing businesses from a profit perspective as well. So many businesses scale the top line, but often not the bottom line. So for us to do both, I think is really powerful. Um, and it means that we can invest in the long term of this brand and the long term of this business. And we're really focused on those long term decisions. Yeah, it's pretty exciting what you've done, man. You know, kudos to you for building a story like the one you have. Kai Loda is the one that uh, recommended you to have you on Vitamin. And Kai's from Norway. And he says, Pat, Ben is uh, uh, everywhere in Norway, everywhere in Europe, everywhere we go. We hear about Jim Shark. And I looked up your story. I said, that's a fantastic story. Let's have him on on Vitamin. So, with that being said, Ben, thank you so much for being a guest on Vitamin.
So thank you for having me, Patrick. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it, buddy. You know, it's crazy is somewhere in the world, some 17 year old kid is going to be watching this video, being inspired by Ben Francis to start the next Gymshark that will find out about 10 years from now, if you watch it accordingly. So if you are somebody that's watching this and you were inspired by Ben, make sure to share this with others that you may know who may be a teenager and say, listen, son, brother, nephew, niece, watch this video. This kid could inspire you. Because what Ben has done, the world needs to know about his story. Having said that, if you enjoyed this interview with Ben, I'm curious to know what you took away from it. Comment below. I think you would also enjoy the interview I did with Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon, how he went from zero to building nearly a $15 billion company with a net worth of $4 billion plus. Take care, everybody.